This is Life with Alcohol and Drugs, a podcast from the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. In this episode, we are joined with George Charlton from George Charlton Training and Consultancy Services. We're here to talk about positive communication, which is a module in the programme CRAFT. CRAFT is Community Reinforcement and Family Training, and it's an evidence-based programme for practitioners to use with family members and carers affected by someone else's substance use. Okay, so hi, I'm here with George today. George, who is a very good friend of Scottish families, but I will let you introduce yourself. Hi, Rebecca. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for asking us along to speak on um, on your wonderful Scottish Families podcast. Uh, you're dead right. I am a fan of uh, a fan of Scottish Families. And actually, we need to get it right. I'm more than a fan. I think I'm an honorary team member. I've got mm-hmm. the T-shirt, literally, and um, I love everything that you guys um, that you guys stand for. I'm all about um, whole family recovery. I'm all about um, family members being ambassadors of change within the family. And I just love kind of like all of the cross-cutting stuff that you do, you know, whether it's kind of down to face-to-face, uh, like stuff that you do with family members, bereavement support, kind of more strategic stuff. Um, I think you're right on the money with everything that you do. And I should also say a massive congratulations, actually, for your award. Yes, so for the, mm-hmm. uh, for the Naloxone um, click and postal service, like, what an absolutely like outstanding achievement, a life-saving project in day I definitely deserving winners. Thank you. I know I think actually Suze is getting the award delivered to her today, straight to her front door. So <laughs> we'll get to see that later on. She'll hate that. She'll hate that. She will. <laughs> Uh, and you know what it is and I think I think like, in, in many ways Susie's very represent, re- representative of all you guys actually like you're a, you're a really really humble do you know what I mean kind of like I know that like she, she like she's that project in some way she's done so much with it right she's kind of she's got her own post bags and all that hasn't she do you know what I mean but she won't take any of the credit for it you know she wants to be kind of really silent about kind of her involvement and stuff and I just think for me like that's what you guys are about man I think kind of yeah yeah you represent a really wonderful bunch of people in terms of like family members and significant others you do really really great stuff um but it's kind of like it's a win for you collectively. So I, I kind of I hope she feels really uncomfortable today when they turn up with her award. Actually, <laughs> maybe happen right now. Actually, but no, but no, thank you. I totally didn't pay you to say any of that. But no, it's really always lovely, and it's always good to know that you've got our back. I've known you for a long time. I think I've known you now for about three or four years. Um, so yeah, it's a long time. Good man. Been around a bit, haven't we? Been around a bit and doing good stuff together as well in terms of like like loads of different stuff, isn't it? I mean, like of late kind of uh, craft's been an absolute thing, hasn't it? Where like um, Scottish families championing lots of different stuff. We've definitely been championing the the craft approach and kind of um, before the the dreaded pandemic, you know, spending lots of time up in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Scotland delivering um, craft training. And then kind of, I remember it wasn't too long ago, it was only the beginning of the year, actually, I think kind of the end of last year, I was speaking to Justina and then she was saying, um, the Chiefs, and she was going like, just why don't you try doing them on Zoom? And I was kind of going, oh no, man, I just, they can't be done on Zoom. And it wasn't that they couldn't be done on Zoom, it was because like, I just didn't feel comfortable at all with kind of, like, do, like for somebody who's kind of quite like, projects outward like Mr. Confident and all that right like the idea of kind of oh, having 20 faces on Zoom and it was a little bit out of my comfort zone I thought no man it can't be done but eventually I think my arm went up my back far enough and kind of it was going oh well why don't we just try doing it with six people to start with and then I think the first one we did there was like 20 people on the call I was like no and you know what it's just been like uh, it's been really great since then I think we've had um We've probably done over like 150, 175 people through the craft training approach since uh, since January last year. We've had lots of third sector organisations and lots of providers in Scotland getting on board with craft. Lots of the alcohol and drug partnerships kind of really buying into it as well. Because I think like um, I just think like the the tone of it is uh, tone of the craft approach, like this idea that your love has power 
that um, that family members are crucial collaborators and they're absolutely not powerless over their loved one's addiction. And we can give them the, the skills that they need to become kind of, like, as I said earlier, our ambassadors of whole family recovery. I think, why wouldn't we be kind of raving about that and shouting about that stuff? Yeah, I know. And it's in a way that online training, actually, I think it reached more people. It ended up bringing more people to you and getting more people trained in Scotland in it. So it has its good things. Yeah, man, totally, totally. It's a, and it was a good learning curve for me, you know, it was something that I definitely, uh, I definitely needed to kind of to push myself out of my comfort zone and, and, and do that. You know, I think sometimes it's kind of really easy in the work that we do to expect people to kind of, that we work with family members to bear their souls and be really uncomfortable around us. But then kind of sometimes as practitioners, we're not too quick to, to kind of jump into that uncomfortableness ourselves. So it has been a, it's been a really positive experience and I think like you're saying like geographically as well like Scotland's huge in it so like for some people to travel from like the Highlands down to Glasgow it was taking them like hours and hours to do that whereas now it's just a kind of a quick log onto the Zoom call see my flighty face in the house and it's a very active house my house you know it's kind of like the wife's walking backwards and forwards the dogs are in and out Madison's kind of asking for something Charlotte's crawling along the floor one day I'm crawling along the floor. I said, what are you doing down there? She said, I don't want anyone to see it. I was like, well, you know what's going to happen now, don't you? So it's straight up with the camera so everyone would see it. But no, man, it's it's good, man. Things are um, things are good. And I think kind of like among very difficult times for um, for families and family members, especially around kind of the drug-related death stuff and that, like kind of you guys are doing it really tough in Scotland as, as everywhere else is, you know. I think... Um, I think craft and um, Scottish families and, and other places as well, you know, my support day, you've got lots and lots of fantastic organisations doing great, great work. Like we're a little bit of a glimmer of light in the darkness. And I just think that we need to, we need to hold on to that and, uh, and be I just doing all we can for those family members who are, who are struggling, man, definitely. Yeah. So today we're kind of, it's all about craft, of course. You are the craft king and you're just fresh out of uh, craft training this morning so we're going to listen to positive communication so the module of communication and craft I always personally find it's probably the one that most people find themselves connecting to and want to know more about so I know in our family recovery college as well we have a whole module on communication and how to talk to your loved ones and how to go about essentially go about it the right way you don't want to cause anger you don't want to cause any problems it's all about speaking and connecting and making sure that essentially both parties in the conversation are both okay so let's have a chat about communication but we'll also start with you first and you can sort of give us a wee rundown about how essentially you've got to where you are today cool man i like um i like the title the craft king and you get that put on a t-shirt and wow do you know what it is? It's kind of like, how old am I now? I'm nearly like, I'm nearly 50 in some ways and kind of probably need to do like 30 years, probably in about five minutes. So like, um, so I'm an ex-drug user. I've been defined as a, a drug addict. I've been defined in the past as an alcoholic. I've been defined as an opiate and crack user. I've been defined as a persistent offender. I've been defined as a self-harmer. I've been designed as a, defined as a drain on society. Um, I've been defined as lots of different things, but like within all of that, like I'm a person, right? And I've always been a person, Rebecca. Um, I was a person who used drugs um, and I was a person who was impacted by um, by addiction for a long period of time. I spent a bit of time in the in the prison system. I've spent a lot of time in lots of psychiatric units on to my mental health, a dual diagnosis, another label which we used to attach onto me. Uh, and struggled for a long time, man, like 15 years of um, using different kinds of substances to try and manage um, adverse childhood experiences and traumas. So um, long before I ever took a drink or a drug, I was broken. And I was broken in Catholic schools who used to administer discipline with leather straps across your hands and your legs as hard as they could hit you. I, I tried to medicate emotional abuse, again, in, in, in the school system that told me I would never be anything or be anyone. I never really believed in myself in any way. There was some sexual traumas in my life when I was younger as well. And I got to the age of like 15, just a mess, man. Just like a broken young man. Lots of love. You know, I had uh, 
my mum and my dad, lovely parents and that, but I never believed in me and I never felt I was worth anything and I was always frightened about what the future would look like and I didn't know how to interact and communicate with other people. And then uh, and then one day I, I started having a, like drinking alcohol and kind of things changed, you know, kind of like alcohol relaxed me a lot. The first time I ever took cannabis, it slowed me down a little bit because I can be kind of quite flighty. This is me like not using cocaine. God knows what I was like when I was using it. But like, um, so what I kind of realized early on was that different substances could do different things for me. You know, my natural state was always one of like real anxiety and just like always worrying that there was something bad was going to happen. You know, I think it was because something bad did happen <laughs> in my younger years. Something bad happened all the way through senior school for me, like seven years of my life, there was bad things, lots of good things as well, you know, but I was kind of, I was just a really vulnerable young guy and uh, and didn't know how to communicate to my parents the things that were happening to me. And then, um, so when I found drugs, I didn't find, I didn't think that these are the problem. I found that these were the solution. Amphetamines gave me confidence like I never had before. I became a much better dancer and um, and I had more patter than I've got now. So like, you know, like, and I know we're joking about it there, right? But like the ability to communicate with girls and stuff like that, you know, I'd always been like, I never felt like confident enough to to try and get a girlfriend or something like that. But then when I had a little bit of amphetamine in me, then I was filled with confidence. So like, definitely for me, drugs weren't the problem. They were my solution. And uh and that worked for me for a little while until I was kind of trying to medicate all of those traumas through the use of drugs. And that's just no way to do it. You know, I think um, lots of people use drugs in in the UK. I think there was 3.2 million people who used an illegal drug last year. I think that's about like um, one in every 11 people, 9% of the UK population used an illegal drug last year. We don't have 3.2 million people in drug treatment, which tells me that drugs aren't the problem. But around 10 or 15 percent of people then go on to develop like problems with the substances that they take. And I was one of those um, I was one of those people. And sadly, you know, the, the people who also suffered alongside me, lots of people suffered alongside me. Rebecca, you know, I hurt a lot of people I, I equally. I was hurt as well. You know, I hurt myself. But uh, but definitely the people who took the the greatest burden of my pain were my parents you know so like probably from the age of 16 or 17 right the way until I was 29 year old you know and went into rehab my parents uh, lived with a very difficult man you know what I mean they, they lived with somebody who was really troubled and uh, they were told by their friends get rid of him don't go down with the sinking ship he's going to kind of your lives are going to be ruined because of him, you know, but um, they never gave up on me, you know, and kind of I'm really thankful that uh, that that my parents, they worked a craft programme and they didn't even know that they did. Do you know what I mean? They didn't even know that it was craft what they were doing, but I can definitely look back now at, at the things that they did. And, uh, and you know, in, in the year 2000, I went into rehab. Um, I was in rehab for a year. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't using. I thought that I would be okay. And I wasn't. I was a mess. And that was because I still hadn't dealt with those past traumas and stuff like that. So um, engaged in loads of therapy and decided that I would like to become a therapist myself. So went and did a, a basic counselling course, level two, level three. I did a postgraduate diploma at Durham, got a degree from Durham and then stayed on and doing like a, a master's in social sciences and health. And then thought, you know what it is? I need to pack this in, man, because like I'm not addicted to drugs anymore, but it's kind of like I'm addicted to learning, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. But you know what, man? Like, um, you know, it's it's mad to think that where I was compared to where I am now. And, and I guess where I am now is uh, I work independently. I work for myself on lots of different projects or so delivering craft training in partnership with you guys in Scotland woo, which is mint um I do I'm really passionate around a peer-to-peer naloxone training and supply program so I'm traveling up and down the country trying to turn the UK yellow with prenoxad uh, I work with a number of police forces across the country teaching police officers to be mindful of the humanity of people who use drugs and kind of get them to be trauma informed in their approach and then um, and then also go into schools and kind of teach young people like not to say no to drugs but to just say no and kind of like have an awareness of the substances that they're going to take obviously the safest way to take drugs is not to take them however if we just tell young people not to take drugs that doesn't offer a real harm reduction focused approach so I'm a man of many things and I love everything that I do and uh, 
I'm, I'm, I think the, the redeeming feature in all of the great things that I have in my life now is, uh, is my wonderful dad, George, and my wonderful mum, Rita, never, ever given up on us when everyone told them to do that. So uh, the bo- they're both not around now. My dad died in, uh, in April. My mum died about 16 years ago. I miss my dad like crazy, but you know what it is, man? No, like, uh, no sorrow, man. No sorrow for me, only pride. He was a beautiful man. And, uh, and if I can be half the man for my kids, what he was to me, then uh, I've got it nailed. So I miss him, but um, but I get the opportunity to talk to him like on podcasts like this. So when I'm doing craft training, so he lives on through kind of positive conversations about him and how he was and how my mum was. So uh, that's me in a nutshell. Great, thank you. And I will say you should definitely follow follow George on Twitter and get to see the naloxone man himself. <laughs> Going up and down the country. <laughs> uh, aye, aye. It's pretty crazy that yellow fellow. He's pretty mad, isn't he? <laughs> You've mentioned communication a lot. Like communication from your own mum and dad um, to you, and how communication is important because it is. It's communication, kind of. It's how we all. It's how we all connect with each other. You know, we all have communication. We're communicating right now, and all those sort of things. But when it comes to wanting to talk to the person that you love about their alcohol use or their drug use. I know with you, I've brought out a campaign about like, I think finding the right time to to talk about it, which is really excellent. A really good wee video that they've got with that. So Craft does look at, they call it the seven elements of communication and they call it positive communication, which I like. I like the word positive. Yeah. Um, so how about we chat about them and we'll go through them and how we'll chat about them themselves and then we can talk how people can use them in their everyday conversations with their loved ones. Absolutely, man. And you know what, just before we get to that, right, you know, like um, I'm just having a little look at what time I hear, right? And I think we're on 21 minutes and 35 seconds, right? And uh, I don't know about you, right, but my... Uh, my mouth has been moving for 21 seconds. I've been saying things for 21, eh, sorry, 21 minutes, but I haven't stopped to consciously think about the things that are coming out of my mouth. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that this is kind of one of the one of the issues that we have when it comes to kind of communication in, among family members with regards to to substances is that we're going to talk about a really, really emotive subject, which is loaded with different kinds of emotion, but we don't take the time and think about what it is that we're actually going to say. Do you know what I mean? And, and it all, I'm always baffled by the fact that I just seem to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, but I'm not given any conscious thought as to what we have to say. So certainly kind of from a, from a craft perspective, when it comes to positive communication, one of the things that we're absolutely going to do is get the, the family member to stop to start thinking about that, the things that they're going to say and to practice and rehearse how they're going to do that. And I guess one of the best ways, like you just said, to do that is through using those um, through using those seven components of effective communication. Like, I often ask the family members that I work with, you know, like, what happens if you talk to your loved one about everyday things? They go, ah, oh, we'll have some really nice conversations. Like, if they're talking about Coronation Street or what are the one for tea, they have some really nice conversations. And you go, what happens if you talk to your loved one about drugs or alcohol? They go, forget it. Doesn't want to go there right it just doesn't want to go there and I think the thing for me is like how do you even begin to have that conversation because it's layered in so many different ways for for the substance user for the person who uses drugs it's so can you imagine what it feels like to say to your mom or your dad or your wife I am using heroin right like the the family member's gonna go ballistic because that's typically what happens isn't it like I think the things that have been adopted are like nagging pleading threatening yelling, shouting, rah! That was certainly the case at a lot of the time in, in my house, my mum and dad, they were great. But my dad, my dad, um, my dad might as well have said to me, George, I'm always going to be here for you, son. Um, and he did say this, I'm always going to be here. You can do whatever you, like, if whatever happens, I'm always going to be here for you. But then there was a caveat, don't make it be about drugs because I'll crucify you. <laughs> so there was always, there's always this bit for, for, the, for the substance user about how can I possibly be honest and open about my drug use when it's going to result in me hurting my family members. Do you know what I mean? And and we and family members typically don't make it explicit about how they're going to respond if their loved ones tell them those things. So I think there's definitely something for me about kind of where communication's concerned is about kind of real transparency and honesty. Do you know what I mean? And kind of taking any uncertainty and ambiguity out of the way where if the family member wants a loved one to know that we're here for you and we're going to support you no matter what, 
like give a little bit of an example on the back of that that says and even if that means you tell me that you're taking drugs I promise you I'm not going to go mad that way from the point of view of the drug user straight away he knows oh hang on a minute everything's clear I can make an informed choice now yeah it is quite easy though to go mad I think that is the easiest thing oh, to do but the way I always sort of see it is when you do react with with anger and things there is it's horrible but there is also showing how much you love and care and when you hear that it just it breaks you in two and you kind of I think there's that fear of god they're hurting I don't want them to hurt but you just it's anger that comes out that's the emotion that comes out rather first it's always going to be the one that comes out first so it's it's hard I hear you and definitely and you know what it is for me that that's not me being down in any way like with with family members you know like we we do the best that we can with the information that we have at any given time do you know what I mean and I think that's why like podcasts like this which point to kind of different areas of communication or different strategies which family members can adopt that's where it becomes really helpful because I think for me you know like um you guys know this like people who families where there are addiction issues you know it's like not like the family member turns up on day one at our services asking for help and support it's years down the line it's a decade down the line sometimes before the before they come and what they've been doing for a long time is repeating the same behavior and expecting different results there's a little einstein quote or a tuesday <laughs> afternoon right so like so but but not just doing that once doing it again and again and again and, and everyone gets locked into this cycle with family member knows that our son's using drugs asks about it in the wrong way substance user lies about it everyone goes rah and then they don't get anywhere and they just keep doing that and i think kind of it's okay to have a problem right when you know that there's a solution and certainly for me that the the the, the solution lies in those um those seven components of effective communication so the first one eh, be brief yes yep that's the first one well nothing i ever do is brief <laughs> <laughs> i think I've, i think i've got a cheat actually teaching crafty now in some ways because these seven components of the communication i need to master them in my own family so i man so being brief man lengthy conversations are a complete turn off do you know what i mean like i don't do long stories short i do long story long and i can certainly see that when i kind of say the uh, to, to my kids it's like can I just have a quick word with you straight away there's nothing quick about it and people absolutely turn off so I think from the point of view of like positive communication and specifically when we're going to be talking around issues of like substances or substance use we don't want this like to be sat down and having big lengthy conversations so as a as a starting point in the families that I work with I almost asked them to develop narratives under each of these seven headings, Rebecca. So the mm-hmm. first one is you don't really write, need to write anything down to be brief. You just need to be brief in the things that you're going to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've noticed over time with my own communication that I actually now take time to think. <laughs> I never used to do that. I was kind of like you. I kind of just used to go. My brain used to keep up, but now I sort of take my time and pace myself. But it's just when you think it being brief is yes I would totally agree it's just how do you how do you do that we're always going to try and our brains are always going to try and fill up things and make us say more than what we want to so how how do we be brief how do we do it well well, I definitely think that um, if you look at the uh, if you look at the craft founder uh, Dr Myers from the University of New Mexico what Bob would say is that the best way that you learn to be brief is through role play and rehearsal right mm-hmm. so it's almost about kind of write, writing scripts and narratives and not just thinking things off the top of our off the top of our heads so if what we can almost do is create a narrative underneath each of these headings with a be brief be specific be positive label your feelings offer an understanding statement um, and offer to help right then what we can almost do is you can almost write a sentence underneath each of those headings which then what the family member could do with a friend or with the husband not with the substance user at this point not with the person who uses drugs at this point but they can practice and rehearse their um, their communication right and they get the feel for what it feels like so i think that the thing for me is the idea of repetition and rehearsal is something really really good and the other thing which strikes me as well is that like this is called um, the seven components of effective communication. It's not called the seven components of effective conversation, 
right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's something in that for me, right? So if we're going to have a communication, a communication for me is something kind of quite brief and snappy. A conversation is something which is a little bit bigger for me. So again, I always encourage like the family members that I work with, like to identify one of the things that they want to address. How can they start being brief about that? How can they be really specific in terms of like the thing that they're asking, right? Like we sometimes hear family members go, you know what it is? I'm sick and tired of all this, man. I'm sick and tired of all this. Like, what does that even mean? All what? Because like, it's, it's that specific. It's totally not specific, isn't it? So I think that, again, part of like, part of what we need to do is take the time to think about what is the thing that's frustrating us or what is the thing that we would like our loved one to do a little bit more of? And can we be really specific about the thing that we want them to do? And let's take any vagueness out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, sorry, go on. No, I was just saying, yeah, that's good. And even like when you're saying about like the rehearsal, it's like, yeah, you can do it with with someone else. But even like in the mirror, <laughs> you know, a lot of we all do it, even though we're not going to, even though we're not going to admit it, we all no. sort of talk to ourselves in the mirror. So that as well could help. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I do it quite a bit, actually. I kind of look in the mirror. You know, Henry Ford once said, um, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Do you know what I mean? So I spend a little bit of time looking in the mirror, doing positive affirmations and stuff like that. But yes, definitely. Um, so the idea is be brief. What's the next one? Is it be positive? Yeah, yes, it is, isn't it? I'm, I'm asking you what I'm, I'm asking you what the next one is. Like. You meant to be the fact. So be brief. And, yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. I'm looking at a bit of paper and I shouldn't be. So be brief and be positive, right? So if we establish that, what we're going to try and do is have a communication, right? A positive communication with our loved ones, which is brief. Then what we'll do is write underneath each of these headings, we'll, we'll plan out what we want to say. And it needs to be no more than about two to three minutes when we're going to have this, this conversation with them, in my out my view. Do you know what I mean? Because I think that like in the craft approach, what we're trying to do is we're trying to learn how to have really difficult conversations, new conversations in a different way with our loved ones, which is going to be a little bit, <gasps> it's going to feel a little bit like oh, difficult for both of them. So we don't want to be having 10 minutes difficult conversations. We're much better off having two or three minute difficult com or, or conversations which feel a little bit difficult. So both the person using the substances and the loved one can kind of begin to learn how that feels and develop some trust for each other and I think essential to that is starting on a positive be brief and then be positive because I don't know about you right and again right listen I have to say this man I say it at the start of every craft training that I do right I love the family members that I work with right I'm, I'm a massive massive advocate for families right I think like honestly I, I, they're just wow man I think like I said about my parents right so I'm not down on family members in any of the things that I say. Do you know what I mean? But I definitely think for me, sometimes we we have to be able to be really honest. Do you know what I mean? Like with the family members that we work with. And that's not because we want to hurt them. But in a lot of the a lot of the families and a lot of these relationships, conversations aren't positive. Mm -hmm. And they are quite like they can be kind of quite destructive in, in those families and um, lots of like like I said earlier, lots of shouting and you know what it is, you're an absolute disgrace, man, you're a terrible dad. When are you going to sort yourself out? Lots of snarling, lots of bitterness. And these, and you know, in these, these conversations typically start out that way or end that way. And again, this becomes another reason why family members and, and their loved ones don't feel like they want to talk about those really difficult subjects because it ends up in that place of real bitterness. So to start your conversation with a positive, right, what happens for the person who's using substances immediately that's different from what he's normally he's normally used to hearing you know so like so does the family member give her son a little squeeze on the shoulder and say you know what like I haven't told you enough just how much I love you and I'm spending so much time picking on all of your faults that I've stopped telling you that you're my world like when you start a conversation with a positive like that straight away like the, well, you have to pick the person who's using drugs off the floor first, like, because he can't believe that he's heard that as well. Do you know what I mean? But that one a really nice way to be able to start a conversation in a real positive like that. So I think for me, it's re we get the attention of we get the attention of the person that we're having a conversation with if we can start on a positive rather than if you start by going, yeah, you, right? You've been in me purse again, haven't you? Like immediately that's woof the gods up, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's just it's um definitely it's a different tone to start the conversation off, and the person will just know right. I'm not being attacked, I guess, or I'm not going to feel attacked. It's going to be different. And it's nice, you know. It's nice. We should be being nice. I know that uh, 
I know it's tough. It's it, it's more than tough. It's heartbreaking and all that. But you know, like uh, not not this not the craft group I did last time, but the one before that. I had a, a lady on there whose uh, loved one was dead. Like she's doing craft training, and her son, who's only about twenty one or twenty two, he was dead and uh, died of a drug related death. And she would give anything to have positive conversations again with her loved one, you know. And I think that like um, this isn't about like enabling behaviours or whatever else, you know. This is about we can't say for certain that our loved ones who are maybe using substances, right, might be around tomorrow. Like 15 people die of a drug-related death every single day. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, it's getting 16 deaths in, in Scotland, isn't it? 16 deaths every day. And I think for me, you know, we just have to make sure that, like, every conversation that we have with our loved ones really matters. And I think that, like, using drugs and not using drugs, they should always be wrapped up in love and positivity. Because I think for me, experience tells me that um, that you'll always bring around kind of more positive behaviour change with with love and reward than you ever will with punishment and, and shouting. So the idea of starting on positive is just a, an absolute win-win. And then um, refer to specific behaviours, right? I don't do this, right? <laughs> I do not do this in my own life. I totally should, but I don't. So I'll give you an example, right? So I'll come upstairs to Charlotte's room, which is not here. I'm in Charlotte's room now. Actually, she's in there. She's down in Manchester studying criminology. She just went down. She's loving it. She's eating takeaways and going out drinking loads and uh, not eating any vegetables, which is fine. Um, but like, I can, I, there's times I come into a room and it's like a tip and I go, look at this day, I've in here. I'm sick of all of this, Charlotte. This is the mess, that's the mess. And I go on one, right? Typical bad stuff, right? I, I completely. So then straight away, she's on the defense and going, get out of my room, get out of my room. My wife's in her, in our room, screaming down, what the hell's going on down there? Timmy's being an idiot. And before you know where you are, like everything's just kind of escalated into a madhouse and then nobody ends up speaking to me, right? Which is the way it typically goes. But that's fine, right? But I think the thing for me is like, is there something specific which is going on, which is kind of giving me some cause for concern or making me feel uncomfortable, right? So then can we talk about that thing? Can I come and talk to to Lottie about that? Actually, you know, I've got no to pick on Lottie about. She's, she's amazing. Do you know what I mean? Did really well in her exam. She's never got herself in any bother ever. Passed her driving test kind of the first time. She's like, God, she's one of them, right? But like, I think for me, like, what is the one thing that I needed to kind of talk to her about? And then can I can I do what you said, Rebecca, earlier on, which is buy myself some time? Can I take some time rather than being this big daft bloke who's running into a girl's bedroom like that? Can I just take, like, can I take five minutes, ten minutes a day out to think about, like, how can this, how can this conversation go and what's the best way that I can do it? And it's definitely starting on a positive. And if I came into Charlotte's room and said, Lottie, do you know what it is, babe? Absolutely love you to bits, right? I'm really, really proud of you, right? Uh, but you do me head in when you leave your clothes all over the place. So, like, I'm just wondering, would you mind, like, picking them up for us, right? Because, like, I spend a lot of time kind of ironing and stuff, and I know I'm moaning on. However, you just pick them up and bring them down. That's going to make me feel fantastic, Colin, and I really appreciate it. Like, there you go again, a really brief conversation where it didn't involve raw, screamy, shouty man. Do you know what I mean? And it didn't involve this is a complete tip, this and everything's doing me head in, because that's kind of what I, I create monsters. But then that's not helpful. In my hands, that wouldn't be helpful for Charlotte, because what the hell is he talking about? And certainly my dad, you know, my dad used to have this um, this line, which was uh, sit down, we need to have a little talk, and my mind went, my mind used to pop, right? Because I knew that that sitting down and needing to have a little talk, it could have been a million things that I'd being caught out for, do you know what I mean? And uh, but he was never really, he was never really clear about the things that we, that he wanted to talk about. And the idea is sitting down as well for me. It might sound stupid, sit down, let's have a little talk. I used to think, why can't we just talk standing up? Like for me, I didn't want to sit down in some ways. I wanted to be standing up. So I definitely think there's something about being specific about the things that we want to talk about with our loved ones. Yeah, I completely agree. It can because I think there's this assumption as well where you think they'll know what you're talking about anyway. But, you know, a lot of the time we need to be told explicitly, you know, it's, I think it's when you're in relationships with people and like, for example, my fiance, he'll do something and I'll say it and he'll go, what? And it's like, I'll just walk away hoping that he'll understand what I'm meaning. And he doesn't. He's like, please just tell me. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's that, 
it's like that scene, isn't it? Like people haven't got glass heads, so we don't know what's going on in them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's really important that we're being specific about like the things that uh, about the things that we want to do. So, for instance, like um, the idea of like telling the young person. So what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to tidy up your room, right? If you tidy up your room, then that's going to make us really happy, right? So that might sound to the person who's asking the young person to tidy the room like that's a done deal, right? But for mum who's telling the young person to tidy the room mum's got an, an, a, a, an interpretation of what that means to her so she knows what she means and then the young person who she's asked to tidy the room they've also got an interpretation of what that means right so the young person might say oh yes i'll, I'll do it so the young person makes that bed kind of kicks a couple of things under the bed and all the rest of it and opens one curtain right so then comes downstairs and says to mum so i've done my room and all that mum goes oh that's absolutely fantastic let's go and have a look she comes in she goes look at the state of it in here it's still a mess you've got stuff all over the floor you haven't brought your plates down and, and the young person goes well you didn't tell us I needed to do that well how are you surely you know what I'm talking about man and then before you know where you are they're in conflict and you know where the problem lies for that with all due respect it lies on the CSO and the carer because she hasn't been explicit about the things that she wanted to happen do you know what I mean? So this idea again I'm going to keep coming back to your point Rebecca because it's awesome is buying some time to be able to think through the things that you're going to say and kind of really analyse the things that we're asking. And definitely with being specifics concerned, I think it's it's crucial to nail down exactly what it is that we want to happen. Yep, just exactly. Exactly what it is. No, no ifs, no buts, no moving around. Just exactly it. And the next one is label your feelings. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it can be hard, can't it? It's always hard to talk about your feelings. You know, you just... I don't know what it is. Sometimes you can think, oh, I sound so silly or I'm sounding stupid doing that. But there's something so powerful about it. Yeah. yeah. And I think and I think attaching I think attaching the right descriptor to your feelings is important as well. Do you know what I mean? So like uh, I have got a, a bit of a potty mouth and I may well turn around and what it is. I'm totally pissed off with it. Right. But like being totally pissed off, that, that totally did describes how I'm feeling about the situation but for the person who's listening to that feeling being expressed it's a really emotive kind of angry thing isn't it so again for me it's about how do we how do we find the right descriptive words that help us to to tell our loved ones how their behavior is making us feel do you know what I mean so like kind of like disappointed I'm feeling really disappointed I'm feeling really hurt I'm feeling really tired at the moment you know like these things have kind of got like um that they're not such like like high emotional value feelings do you know what I mean they're nice ways for the for the family member to be able to describe a loved one how they're feeling you know I'm feeling a little bit let down at the moment and again if we've got an opportunity to to find like to buy some time and really work that through and practice and rehearse with another person um then then we're able to kind of like we might pick the wrong feeling word the first time and the person who we're working with in craft trade might go hang on a minute so let's try and find another word to describe that you know when we do this session from a, a craft perspective right we're in we're, we're like we're investing like a whole session an hour an hour and a half in some ways just on this one part here which is identifying like seven points putting a sentence underneath each one of them and then practicing rehearsing backwards and forwards until we feel confident doing that with whether that's with a practitioner whether that's with another family member who another another um, another carer who's been trained in the craft approach we're just going to practice and rehearse doing it but finding the right feelings really important and again it wants to be something that takes the sting out of the tail but enough that's going to touch the other person that maybe their behaviours are are really hurt. Because, you know, what I think we'll have to remember here as well, you know, is that, like, eh, I loved my parents, you know, more than anything else, right? I never stopped loving them just because I was a drug user and I hated the fact that I was disappointing them as well, you know? So it's not like... Um, for, for those family members who are out there with a loved one who's using drugs, you know, like your loved one doesn't hear you. He's just he or she's just in a very difficult, dark place. And uh, and I man, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. But definitely labelling your feelings is an important one. Yeah. And even like we were talking about the knowing the emotions and knowing what they are and, and looking at them. Hindsight is wonderful <laughs> because, you know, we could say, oh, I'm furious in this conversation or something. And then like a few hours later, you'll go, 
yeah I wasn't really furious that that was a bit strong mm-hmm. but yeah because when strong you say like one, strong like oh I'm furious and terrified right if that's what you said to your loved one that's it's you know terrified is when you see a ghost come into your house that's that's terrifying what you mm-hmm. are mostly is you're worried and you're frustrated like you know that's not taking yeah, yeah, that's not taking away the weight from your emotion but it's doing it it's saying it in a different way it's saying it in something that's a lot more understanding and it's a lot more emotive I guess um yeah I think it's it's like when you when you used to be a kid and you used to say you hated someone and then somebody will tell you hates a very strong word and you think about it and you go yeah you're right I, I just dislike you right now <laughs> you know it's, it's all about that hindsight yeah. is wonderful you know we can talk about it but when you are in that moment where your feelings are trying to take over it can be much yeah. so you know it's the worst way of talking about labeling your feelings and keeping calm i'm going to get medicine walking up the stairs going Ooh, and i'm wanting to just go medicine <laughs> take your time take your time label your feelings take your time. definitely <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Dead. And you know what it is? And I think the thing for me is this, right? <clears throat> it's about we want to get through this positive communication with our loved ones. And so each of these parts, like, you know, but like Bob just hasn't wrote these, Dr. Myers hasn't just wrote these on the back of a fag packet. Like, you know, there's a really strong evidence base which is attached to like the the effectiveness of craft and how family members who use a use this approach and use a positive reinforcement as a central tool that runs through it like there's like there's lots of really positive outcomes which come as a result of that but the idea being that we need to have a start point of the conversation and an end point so we've got to give some thoughts to every one of these points to allow us to to get what we way through them so also the idea of um, offering an understanding statement yeah. so again for me I think that like I think in some ways in this positive communication section it's a little bit sinister it's not really but it's kind of it's how I like to think about it right I want like the I want the person who's using drugs in the family right to be left scratching the head when they have a family member that comes in and delivers this beautiful communication where the substance user thinks eh what just happened there because like she's not normally like this do you know what I mean it's I've never what the hell? I want him to be taken off guard a little bit by that conversation. Do you know what I mean? So, like, so often an understanding statement is another opportunity where the CSO or the CSO, sorry, I mean, kind of craft oriented in my mind or that. So, like, the, the, the family member is, um, is, is offering an understanding, compassionate statement where she shows that, like, she's got a real grasp and understanding of the issues that are being faced, you know? Like, I always remember <clears throat> I worked with a lady called Sandra. And then her son was um, he was a, an injecting heroin user. He'd been in and out of uh, the prison system. He, he was taking benzos all the time. He'd never worked for ages. Right, the first time I met her, she said, "You know, George, I don't expect too much from my son. I've only got three things that I want from him." And I said, "Well, you know, Sandra, like three things doesn't sound a lot. So tell us the three things." She says, "I want him to be normal, get a job, and stop using drugs." Right, and I was like, "Wow, is that all? Do you know what I mean?" Because like. As, a, as an intention, right, should a mum expect that for her loved one? Absolutely. 100% she should expect that from a loved one. Should she expect that as a starting point for her loved one who is a dependent heroin user taking loads of tablets and in and out of the prison system? Definitely not, right? And, you know, and she, she firmly agreed that, like, she was being unfair, right, in making that her starting point, right? So, again, the thing for me is the idea of offering an understanding statement is, like, Again, this is why kind of coming to like coming to Scottish families or working with any of the other organisations that are kind of using like craft as an intervention, for instance, because we've like I say we've trained stacks of people, right? So you can get you can get trained in the in the craft approach, right? But it's not just what we do is we educate people to get them to think about the words behind the music. I think sometimes for family members to see drugs and alcohol as an issue of good and bad, good and bad behaviour, right? And when you consider like my story at the start there, right? It wasn't about good and bad behaviour. It was about medicating a trauma. Do you know what I mean? It was about medicating. I wasn't well when I started taking drugs, right? So then the idea that for Sandra, what we did again through this positive communication component, was she was able to go and say to her loved one, I'm really sorry for the way that I've been demanding these things of you lately. I haven't stopped to consider how difficult things are for you. And I know that I don't get it right all the time, but I want you to know that I really love you, right? Like wow like just as a one-liner then 
for the, the person who's impacted by the addiction, the drug user, the alcohol user, they're blown away by that. Like they, their loved ones are shown a real depth of understanding and emotion. And I just think that like that's not said in a way in which is shouty. That's coming from a place of real connection and love. And I just think these things are missing, man. They're not just missing with family members, Rebecca. They're missing in the treatment system as a whole. They're missing across the board when it comes to people who are disenfranchised through addiction. Yeah, I mean, I always like the analogy about if you suffer from anxiety or even just mental health problem in general, I always like to when they say, I'm not looking for a solution. I'm not looking for you to pull me up and make me do this. I just want you to climb into the hole with me and sit with me for a wee while. Amen. That's yeah. what I see the understanding statement kind of being like, just sort of sit here with me for a wee while and understand yeah, it. Because the, because the other the alternative to that is what a lot of us have been doing with our addicted loved ones, which is being battling. We've been battling this addiction, battling the addiction for the person who's using drugs. We know that addiction affects the whole family unit. You know, everyone's battling, and I think sometimes we just need to to stop to look in the whites of each other's eyes to recognise that our loved ones are still in there somewhere, and maybe it's what we need more than anything else is. Is a is a love. <laughs> it's a, maybe it's a physical love, and to say that like I might I might not be happy about your drug use, but I want you to know that I love you regardless. Like that's a really powerful like seven or eight words there, which fits nicely under that idea of a uh, an understanding statement. And I think the thing for me is like we're trying to just get, and I do keep it as simple as taking those seven components of effective communication writing be brief writing be positive and then writing a sentence underneath each of one of those headings right and then starting to read it and practice it and rehearse it do you know what i mean and keep saying it and saying it and saying it until such a time that i've nailed it do you know what i mean then we think about kind of timing and when we're going to have those conversations but then what else we've got accept partial responsibility Mel from my support date, she always she told me she doesn't look forward to saying this to family members, especially if they're if they're just starting off their craft journey. She doesn't like saying the take partial responsibility because it can be hard, but we know that it is good as well. Yeah, man. And what a legend she is, isn't she, Mel? She is amazing. But she uh, what she's done with my support day has been absolutely fantastic. You know, I trained Mel in craft in your offices. Uh, a, a number of years ago three or four years ago and I always remember right like um, in the middle of doing exercises and stuff like that like uh, I remember talking to her and uh, and she was telling me about this plan that she had it wasn't even a thing my support day wasn't even a thing but she was going this is exactly what I'm going to do right and she just painted this picture about the thing that she wanted to do and I think uh, like all credit to to her I know that I know like um, you guys have kind of like supported my support day as well, which has been absolutely fantastic. But uh, I all uh, all credit to Mel. She's a great girl and she's a power of example, definitely, man. Um, so yes, man. Um, accept partial responsibility, right? So this is about like what role am I playing as a family member in this situation, right? So that guaranteed they are playing they are there's a role that they're playing in this whole situation, right? And for some family members, they may go well. Why the hell should I take personal responsibility for something that's got nothing to do with me? I'm not doing anything here. And I might have to go, well, actually, it's funny you should say that, you know, but uh, don't you give him £10 to go down to the club on a Friday night when your sister turns up because you're embarrassed because he's getting drunk? Uh-huh. Right, so are you not enabling his behaviour? So how can you be telling me in the one breath that you're really fed up with the way that he's drinking? But then in the other breath, what you're doing is giving them £10 to go to the club and get a pint so none of the rest of your family see him because you're embarrassed by him. So I think the thing for me is this, it is about helping the family members to see that, like, when we're not saying that family members are, are are accountable for their loved one's addictions, they're not, right? They're not. It's that simple, right? It, forget about blame, man. We need to forget about blame on all sides. Yeah, blame does nothing, no good at all, right? But in some ways, we it's helpful for the CSO to find their role in the situation. Is it is are the arguments happening because the the CSO is really quick to judge? Do you know what I mean? Like, does she point a finger about one of the substance users' friends being an absolute idiot, and then that turns into an argument? It could be that the accepting partial responsibility is something as simple as that. That like you know sometimes I'm really quick to fly off the off the handle. 
yeah, and I know that I kind of, I'm nagging you so much and I don't give you any space and I'm really sorry. That's it. That's take, that's accepting partial responsibility. It doesn't have to be this big submission of like, like, it's my fault. It's not what we're trying to show in the early days. What we're trying to do here, right, is develop, because you've got to think about it, you know, we're introducing a new style of communication into a household, which has probably been really like a mess. It's been a mess in there, like nothing really positive happened for years, no positive conversations happened for years. It's all been about the drugs every minute of every day. My dad, you know, asked me, God, my dad spent 20 years frantically worrying about me and my drug use, even when I'd been free from illicit substances for 10 years, 50 years, he's still worried about it. Do you know what I mean, right? It was always, always, always on our minds, on, on his mind so so households where there are addiction issues is really difficult and be toxic and all the rest of it so what we have to do is introduce this new style of communication and one of the ways we introduce this new style of communication is making sure that the ip experience substance user experiences a very different like mum or a very different dad and one of the ways that we do that is by being positive and being specific and labeling our feelings and showing that we have a depth of understanding around the issues which are being faced by the the person using the substances and then find our role in and you know what just find your role in that if you care about your loved ones don't argue about like whether or not like i should be taking responsibility we've all got a responsibility in this so where is yours and then make sure that your loved one knows because it's going to be reciprocated you're going to have to pick your loved one off the floor if you talk to your loved one like this you're going to have to pick them off the floor because they're going to fall down in shock but when they get back they're going to think my god like i'm not really sure what happened there but i love how that conversation just went and what that does for us as drug users is it, it, it makes us start to see into your glass head now it starts to allow us to have some confidence that maybe we can open up a little bit because because you're able to understand the place where I'm coming from with regards to my addiction. And then obviously the last one being offer to help. Mm-hmm. So um your thoughts on that. Sorry I'm interviewing the interviewer. <laughs> no, I like offer to help because it can be something so small but it can make such a big difference. Um, the one that I liked was an example of, oh, you missed, you never, like, you missed your your treatment appointment or something like that, and the solution the little offer to help was, oh, do you want me to remind you about your appointment? And it it works, doesn't it? It's just you, you know you're you're putting yourself in there and you're offering to help, and the person's going to know that you're doing that for them, and it will mean a that they're going to remember their appointment. And B, they're going to know that you care. Yeah, man, absolutely, and that you care enough. You care enough to be able to to say these things as well, definitely. And like, and the offer to help as well is about saying like, how can we make things as easy as we possibly can to get our loved ones into treatment or support, or or not, or, or not just purely focusing on abstinence-based recovery. How can we help them if they're injecting drug users to be using clean injecting equipment? You know, like kind of if they've got hepatitis C and they need access to hepatitis C treatment, whatever it is, man. How can we? How can we make our offers to help that are going to help us reduce the harms which are experienced by our loved ones around uh, around alcohol and and drugs? And, you know, like kind of part of these offers to help as well could be wrapped up in the idea like, look, why don't I take you to your next appointment? Right. And maybe when you finish seeing Rebecca, what we're going to do is why don't we go and see the new James Bond movie straight after that? Do you know what I mean? Like there's a kind of a way of like wrapping some stuff up. So it's, it becomes like a bit of a pit stop. It's not the main event. Of course, seeing you is the main event, Rebecca, as far as I'm concerned. You know, I've spent an hour with you now and it feels like the main event, right? <laughs> but for the for the substance, for the person using substances, the idea of going into treatment and supports like just fraught with so much uncertainty and worry and all of that. And if what we can do is kind of, if we can wrap that up where it's not the main event and it leads to another place, which is something which is going to be rewarding for the for the family member and also the the substance user. Then we can absolutely do it that way. That could be the offer to help as well. So yeah, man, I think that those um, the the idea of having those seven components of effective communication, like ah, print them off, laminate them, gives them all the families that they, that I work with, getting them to t- take some time to write each of those headings down. 
to ask them, like, to, to, if I'm working with them, then obviously what we'll do is we'll help them to come up with a statement underneath each one. However, if they want to do it on their own, they can do that as well. We're not asking them to write 500 words under each of those headings. What we're asking them to do is just a line or two, right? Then with a the view that they're going to almost rub out the be brief, be positive and all those headings and they're just left with a little paragraph which they're then going to practice and rehearse and say it over and over again. If they're fortunate enough to have a family member around that can critique them, that's great. If not, you can go to many of the daft, many of the services which are around who can take some time to help shape that narrative. And then the last thing to do with that is to is to think about the timing of when you're going to have the conversation because you can have the best planned conversation in the world and you could have practiced and rehearsed and you smashed it and it feels like it's going to be awesome and then you go home and you go right tonight tonight and you go to have the conversation with your loved one and he's absolutely smashed on alcohol and he doesn't want to have the conversation the family member reverts back to old behavior and then rah, they're back in the shout match rather than actually if we're going to invest all the time in coming up with a really good dialogue then we should take a little bit of time just to think when's the right time to have this conversation. Exactly, yeah, time is important as we've we've kind of said over this podcast. Timing, it's all yeah, about. Yeah, no, so I think it's it's yeah, good because when you talk about the seven components, it does sound like a lot, but like what you said, the fact that it could be one line under each of those headings and then that in itself becomes a two to three minute piece of communication. Yeah, yeah. But is it a lot? It might sound a lot, but you know, in reality, so, right, 10 years, trying to tackle an addiction problem over 10 years as a family member that's a lot taking a couple of hours out to take some time to write this thing down that's not a lot of time not a lot of time at all do you know what I mean it's um these these things are uh, these things are, are absolutely proven to work and um my dad used to say as well it's nice to be nice why we don't have to be horrible you know like let's just be nice and and the idea behind the the positive communication is all about being clear and specific and coming from a a place of love, man. You know that uh, that line and craft. I need to get another tattoo. Your love has power. Do you know what I mean? Your love has power. It's strong stuff, isn't it? You know. And I can tell you with countless families that I've worked with that like I've seen families solve their problems right when when using the craft approach. Where their loved ones are in much more, they're in much more different places now. You know, one of them lads that I was talking about earlier on, um, Chris, I was speaking to him um, last week. He's in Sheffield University doing a master's in criminology. Do you know what I mean? He was four years ago. He was at my Crown Court bar selling MDMA. He was a mess. He was an absolute mess. And his mum was never ever going to condone him being in the house taking any drugs but yet his mum was accepting that he could smoke a few joints and that she was going to be happy with that because he wasn't using benzos he wasn't using it he, do you know what I mean the, the negotiated through through using positive communication Izzy's another lass who I work with her and her mum Jill and we went through the positive communication stuff with um with Jill and and Jill and Izzy found ways of communicating which was transformational for both of them I remember you know being in a room with them two once and seeing them both embrace like cuddling so tightly like just it, god it's powerful man it was just like it's a privilege to be involved in that stuff and Izzy did it tough man she was spent she spent a year in a prison in London she spent a year in a prison up here she was broken because of alcohol she was in a really bad space she was quite high profile as well at one point and you know transformational the way her mum used positive communication and Izzy comes with me and delivers drugs education in schools like not as like I don't wheel her out as like oh here's the ex-alcohol user she's my co-partner in these sessions I'm delivering training with her at Sir Thomas Morse School in North Tyneside on Thursday and she's the absolute power of example do you know what I mean and, but for all of these people you know like when you when you take time to ask the right questions and allow people to answer you openly and honestly right then what you find is that like the vast majority of people who come into addiction services are damaged by trauma and when we can understand that and we can not forgive the drug use, but we can understand why a person uses drugs in the way that they do, right? And when we can tell our loved ones that we love them regardless of whether they're using substances or not, then that's where the magic starts to happen because that's when the the, the person using drugs feels able to be open and honest, you know, 
what I wanted to do more than anything else <clears throat> was be open and honest with me dad and me mum about me drug use. I was desperate to be honest with them. I, I, I needed, everyone knew, they knew, but I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to articulate it and I didn't want to hurt them and I was worried about what they would say. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and when we got to that point where, where I was able to be open and honest about me drug use, then we were able to solve those problems together. Do you know what I mean? And, and thank God that uh, thank God that they did what they did. That's the only reason I'm alive today is because of what they did. Oh, thank you. Well, well let's finish it there. <laughs> and that'll be great. Thank you so much for, for your time. You've been with me for well over an hour. <laughs> That's cool, man. And keep, uh, keep up the awesome work, Scottish <laughs> Families Dream Team. And uh, I dive on one of our craft training courses as well. Um, you can come and learn more about that. Right. Awesome. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you're worried about someone else's alcohol and drug use, you can contact Scottish Families on 08080 101011 or by email at helpline at sfad.org.uk. We also have web chat and further information on our website www.sfad.org.uk.